Good morning, church. We can rejoice, can we not? We're going to conclude this morning our series on the marvelous, amazing grace of God. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. As we conclude our messages on God's amazing grace, we'll look at the freedom that this grace has generated. We have gone from, the, from bondage to freedom. We've gone from the lies and hatred and rejection of one father to the love and truth and acceptance of another father. We've left one family and we've joined another. And you know, it breaks my heart that today people want to be in both families. I don't want to be in the old family. I remember the old family. And it's not a pleasant memory, is it? But thank God I'm in a new family. I've gone from performance and accepting. I've gone from rejection to exception, acceptance. I've gone from death to real life. So today we're just going to praise God for His marvelous, glorious, never-ending, amazing grace. And I say to God, be the glory. Great things He has done. And so as we look at the conclusion, now what we're doing today is... As you know, the Amazing Grace was written by a man who was a slave owner before he came to Christ. He came, John Newton, right? That's his name, right? John Newton. And when he came to Christ, he became a new creation. And he totally had a transformed life. And it was through his life and the things that God had forgiven him for, that he was able to pin the words of amazing grace. Then we have a modern-day addition, and I don't normally like additions to old songs, but this one fits, and I love it. Because the amazing grace that God has given to us is all about the chains of bondage being removed. The being in prison, the doors of the prison were opened, and we were set free. And so let's look at that last verse, and we're going to begin with, My chains are gone, I've been set free. If my chains are gone, then I want to live my life as if my chains are gone. I don't want to live anymore under bondage. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 7 we read this. What shall we say then that grace may abound? Or shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I think Christians would do well to go back and read this passage of Scripture today. It does matter how I live. You see, the way I live my life will either glorify my heavenly father or to bring honor to my old father. I want to live a life that brings honor to my heavenly father. My old father condemns. My, old, my new father has removed all the condemnation. 
My old father is deceitful. My new father is truthful. And I do not want to live a life that brings honor and glory to the old father. I want to be able to stomp him and kick him. And as the old preacher said, when he loses all his teeth, he wants to be able to gum him to death. I hate the devil and everything associated with him. The only thing I don't hate that's associated with devil is lost people. I love the people who are steeped in that sin. I love them so much, I want to bring the truth to them. I want them to see what sin is and the consequence of sin, the penalty for sin. A lot of things have changed in this world, but one thing that hasn't changed, the penalty of sin is still the same. It doesn't change. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Wherefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should we walk in newness of life. Now, I'm pretty sure about you. When you came to Christ, the old stuff didn't look so good anymore. And you didn't understand fully why it didn't, because you were a new believer. You didn't understand how the Holy Spirit worked as a new believer. And suddenly things that you used to like, you didn't like anymore. Things you used to do, you didn't want to do anymore. And that's because God remade you in the image of Christ. He put within you his spirit. And when we do sin, and we do sin, that grieves the Holy Spirit, and it brings into our life something that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and if we are comfortable with sin, there is something wrong. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. Now, how many of you had struggles this week? Come on, be honest. All right. I don't know anybody that have some struggles this week. Can I tell you there's only one way to get out of all those troubles? That's to die. That's to die. Until you physically die, you are going to be surrounded by trouble. That's the way the human life is. But we've already been set free from sin because the old man has been killed. Now, we have been delivered from a life of sinful practice. I want to reiterate to you, one of the problems that I see in the church today is we worry too much about not committing a sin. You're going to sin. But when we sit around and say, I hope I don't do this. 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 Two things. Number one, that shows a lack of faith in God. And number two, that keeps that sin front and center. I'm constantly reminding myself of what was. And instead of worrying about what was, we need to rejoice in what is. Instead of worrying about who we used to belong to, we need to rejoice in who we belong to now. 
And too many times Christians are backward looking instead of forward looking. And I'm tired of what's behind us. I don't want what's behind me. I want what God has for me now and what's yet to come. Because glory is coming. My deliverance, my total deliverance is coming. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin forever. I will never pay the penalty for my sin. Now, I want you to see there's a difference between consequence and penalty. Consequence is an effect of our sin. And that doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. For instance, if the, Satan can get a pastor to fall into sin, who's affected? Just the pastor? The family, the church, the body. And so the consequences of sin can be far-reaching. But as a believer, that penalty has been removed because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And I am secure in that payment that's been made. Now, it is indicative for me to live a life that brings honor and glory to Christ, not because I'm going to pay a penalty if I don't, but because I love Christ enough, I don't want the cause of Christ to be hindered in my life. I want it to be uh, glorified in my life. I want Jesus to receive honor and glory from how I live my life. And by the way, don't ever get to the point where you think you're better than somebody else because you don't do this or don't do that. We are nothing but a redeemed, saved by grace individual who the Spirit of God has called to, called to salvation. We responded to that call, and we've been saved by grace and grace alone. Nothing that we have done. Our old man has been crucified. The old man died and has been replaced by a new man. The old you is dead, and it's been substituted by a brand new you. God remade you inside. Have you noticed he didn't make you new outside yet? Every time I look in the mirror, Jeannie, and see these hairs going that way and that way, uh, I realize that God didn't remake my head, okay? And there's, you know, I see these things on TV, you know, grow your hair again and put this stuff on, you know. Um, figure if God wanted me to have hair, he'd give it to me. God must like looking at the bald head. God took my hair away so he'd get into my head quicker, all right? The, uh, uh, that's the difference between me and Terry uh, uh, back there. It's a little harder for God to get through Terry's head because he's got hair up there to go through and me just direct access, you know. And uh, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if therefore, if any man be in Christ, I like this. He is. He is his present tense right now. He is a new creature. Old things, present tense are past. I don't have to wait till I die to become new. I don't have to wait till I die for everything to pass. All things are present tense become new. Do you, are you like me and you get frustrated when you try to share the gospel with a lost person and they kind of flip you off like you're crazy? Folks, let me understand, let me help you understand something. They don't understand. They can't understand because they're still under the control of the old father. 
But don't you quit sharing Christ because that seed that's been planted can grow. And you may have shared Christ with somebody that might come to Christ even after you're gone on to glory. But the seed you have planted needs to be watered. And you may not be the one who comes by and waters that seed. Somebody else might come by and water that seed. And I know it's frustrating because for us as believers, we know the joy of our salvation. We know the, 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 the desires that we have are different than the desires that the world has. And it's frustrating to share Christ and see people look at you like a deer in the headlights. But don't stop. May I, may I reiterate to you, Jesus was rejected by way more than he accepted him. Even when Jesus was performing miracles and, and, and raising the dead and healing the sick, he was still rejected of the majority of the people. In fact, they asked for a murderer to be released and Jesus to be crucified. It's not a strange thing for the unsaved man to reject what you stand for. But folks, it's a horrible thing when you come alongside and accept what they are doing. We must reject, but we must do it in the heart of love. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Romans chapter 6 Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. The word dominion here means to be Lord of or to rule, to exercise influence upon, to have power over. Now listen, we need to understand something. Sin does not have power over us. Now hear me. We have power over sin. How do I have power over sin? The Word, God's Spirit that's within me. I no longer am a slave to the sin I used to do. When I sin now, it's by choice, and it's in violation of what I know to be right. The unsaved man sins. He is doing what is normal and what used to be normal for us. But sin no longer has power. We've been set free from that. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Whose body are we? We're the body of Christ. You can talk to me when I ask a question. It's all right. What did Christ come to do? To minister. He didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. Can I tell you what's wrong with the church today? Too many people come to church wanting to be ministered to. They're not part of the church to minister. And God has called you to minister. You are not called to come and be served. You are called to come and serve. And as, I, as a believer, if you're not involved serving, then you're missing something that God has ordained for you. And let me tell you something. The great joy of being a believer is the ability to serve others. To be able to reach out to those in need, 
not only to save people in need, but lost people in need. I was, I was excited when I saw that one of the very first people on the ground in Florida was Samaritan's Purse. One of the very first groups on the ground. And I want to throw a plug in here. If you want to give to help relief in Florida, give to an organization like Samaritan's Purse where the money goes into actually helping the people. Don't give to organizations where 90% goes into uh, their organization and 10% helps the people. Do your research. But not only is Samaritan Purse taking supplies, but see, they're taking the gospel. A group of pastors who are part of that organization flooded into Southwest Florida to share the glorious hope of Christ as they reach out to a community that's been stricken. Folks, there are plenty of people in Wilmington, North Carolina that need ministered to that are not being ministered to because too few people are willing to be involved in reaching out to folks in need. Jesus ministered. You say, well, preacher, I have needs too. Yes, you do. You know, the greatest way to get your need met is to meet the need of someone else. Hebrews chapter nine, I'm sorry, first Timothy chapter two, verse five and six. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. A ransom. Ransom means a payment uh, for, to, to buy back. You see, man in his created form back in the garden belonged to God. Man fell and became the property of the devil. And so God had to have a way to purchase man back to himself. And that was through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of a new testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgression that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, nobody in here would be saved if the only way you could get to heaven was through the old covenant. Because nobody in here can measure up to that, to that demand. You see, God's demand in the Old Testament was for man to be perfect. And he had this long list of do's and don'ts that you had to do or don't. And all that did was make you guilty. So God had to come up with a new covenant, which he planned before the foundation of the world. And that new covenant was a blood covenant. By the way, the old covenant's a blood covenant. The problem with the old covenant is the blood was temporary. The new covenant, the blood is permanent. The old covenant just covered for a period of time. The new covenant covers for all time. And I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is final. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Iniquity. Iniquity is the whole body of sinfulness of man. 
It doesn't, it's not some particular sin out here. It is the mindset of sin. Man by nature has a mindset to sin. The believer by nature has a mindset to follow the precepts and the principles of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, notice, notice, we're not saved by the tradition of the fathers. And if you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you'll see where the fathers were trying to bring the tradition still into the synagogue to require man to follow these set of rules in order to please God. Now listen, man cannot please God. God is only pleased by what the Son has done. The only thing that satisfies a holy God is the blood of Christ. And there's nothing that I can do in my own self that's pleasing to God. The blood has made me acceptable to him. I am pleasing to Christ, to God, the Father, not because of my own righteousness, but because his righteousness has been applied to my account. Now, we can't use that as an excuse to sin. I know a lot of people say, well, once saved, always saved. You can do whatever you want to. Try that on for size. First of all, I'm not sure a person with that attitude really knows what being born again is all about. Because, see, when I got saved, I had new desires. I had a new attitude about sin. I had a new attitude about who I was and who he was and who he is. Revelations chapter 5, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and, has, uh, and people and nation. That's a lot of people. The new city is 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000 furlongs. I figured that out. That's 12 billion cubic miles. You say, preacher, what's the big deal? It's going to hold a lot of people. By the way, the earth is inhabited. The whole earth, only 10% of the mass of the earth has people on it. Half of those people could fit in to the New Jerusalem. And half the people aren't going to be born again. But there's going to be a lot of people there, and don't worry about being overcrowded. You're going to have plenty of space. Okay? I just throw that in for fun. Like a flood, his mercy reigns. Billy Graham said this, God cannot clear the guilty until atonement is made. Mercy is what we need, and that is what we receive at the foot of the cross. The blood of Jesus. Song just came to my mind right now, oh, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Have you had the blood of Jesus? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? If you haven't been, you're lost. If you haven't been, Heaven's not your home. There is no limit to God's mercy. No limit. 
For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Listen, until the very last breath, the very last person who ever walks the face of the earth, God's mercy is being extended. Do you realize even during the tribulation, God's mercy is extended? Do you realize God is allowing the gospel to be spread even during the tribulation period? That's mercy. That's mercy. Every day you wake up, it's due to his continuing mercy. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How many of you woke up this morning? Do you know the fact that you woke up, God's extended mercy to you today? You said, well, preacher, what do you mean? I'd be better off in heaven. Let me say something to you. If you'd be better off in heaven, you'd be there right now. God has left you here for two reasons. Now hear it. Reason number one is to share the good news. Are you ready for this next one? Reason number two is so you can continue to collect heavenly rewards. Do you realize if you're still here, God still has rewards he wants to extend to you? You're still in the accumulation process? You know, I'll preach, I don't care about rewards. Well, apparently God does. Because he spoke a lot about them in the Bible. You say, well, all we're going to do is give them back to Jesus. Well, isn't it going to be wonderful to have a lot to give back? Instead of just a little? You see, you are here still. It is best for you to be here and not in heaven. When it is best for you to be in heaven, guess what? You're going to be there. Because God knows. I don't know. Paul said, look, I'd rather be in heaven, but it's more expedient. It's better for me to be here because of you. You see, even the apostle Paul had a desire to be in heaven, but he realized he had a job that wasn't finished. You and I are here this morning because of God's mercy and the job's not done. My question to us right now is what are we doing to complete the job? When this life is over, his mercy still lifts us up. Tim and I, again, we communicate a lot during the week, and, and uh, he sent a message earlier this week, said, not going to be long before we're going to be cloud surfing. Yeah, coming from the coast, you know what surfing is, right? Cloud surfing. Well, what, what is going to enable me to cloud surf? The mercy of God, the grace of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I'm looking forward to being, to not sleeping. Now, now I got a newsflash for you. If Christ comes and I don't have to sleep, you better mark it down, it's soon. And I'm looking to be surfing from life, not surfing from a grave. But if I die first, that's all right. I'll just beat you there. Because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain. Okay? I'm getting ahead of myself. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption 
must put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God that does what? Giveth us victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's easy sometimes to feel like all your efforts are a waste of time because we judge by sight. Now, let me, let me give you a newsflash. God judges by sight too. The difference is he sees more than we do. We see this. God sees this. We see only what's in front of us. God sees what's all around us. God sees the seats is planted, and God is the one who brings about the increase. All I can do is share truth. God is the one who matures that truth in an individual. I can plant the seed, Pastor Randy or Terry or, or Kathy or Tammy or, or Tim. Y'all may water the seed, but we have absolutely nothing to do with the increase. People who get saved, it's not because of our own doing. It's because Christ has taken what we've done and matured it, grown it. Unending love, amazing grace. Unending love, amazing grace. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the question, by the way. If God's for me, who's, who can stand against me? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, stop there for just a moment. God could have spared his son. He could have said, man's not worth it. Forget it. I'm not going to put you through that. But God's love is so great for me that God refused to spare his son. How many of us feel the same way about our sons or our daughters? But you see, the love of Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father was so profound for me. He said, there's only one way to bring you back to me. And I'm willing to pay that price through my son. Christ lived. He suffered. He was beaten. He was nailed. He hung. He died. He was buried. And that's not the end of the story. He rose again. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Ah, nay, but in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That covers it. That covers it. We can never be separated from his grace. Never. We're going to start Hebrews next week. And we get into the book of Hebrews. I'm going to, I'm going to bring out maybe a third of the way into the book. How that if you could actually ever be separated from this grace, you could never have it again. If you ever lose what you have in Christ, you can never gain it back again. Hebrews is very clear on that. And so God made it so I'm not dependent on my own self. I'm dependent on his grace, period. And that grace is going to sustain me. We can never be separated from his love. Do you realize folks in hell are going to be separated from his love? God's going to pour his wrath, not his love, out on those folks. And they'll never experience the love of God again. Ever. But you and I will never be separated from that grace and that love. We can never be charged guilty for our sin. Think about that. You are forever declared innocent. And I'm going to go farther. You're not just not guilty. God has declared you innocent. Because the blood of Jesus has wiped away all sin. We are forever conquerors because of Christ. I'm a forever conqueror. Some of the notes that I've gotten and mainly got from friends in Florida. Uh, why are they able to have such a bright attitude? Because they're conquerors in Christ. Christ has made them conquerors. They conquered the things of this world. They're victorious over sin. And they know that everything that they lost was just a material thing. And I got news for you, Christian. Every material thing that you have, you will one day lose. You will one day lose. It's not a matter of if you're going to lose it, it's when. Glory to God for His endless, unchanging, amazing grace. From now on, when you sing Amazing Grace, you'll look at it through a little bit different light, realizing how true that song is to your own personal life and how much God has done for you through His amazing grace. Father, thank you for this time together. Have you will and wait now in each of our individual lives. May this week be a week where Christ is shared 
because of our love for him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.